Hey, dude. Hey, brother. It's really good to have you here, man. It's really good to be with you. You know, you're one of the people that I've enjoyed talking to for the biggest portion of my life that I remember. And uh, these conversations always end up with something worth thinking about. Sometimes we go really high level and think philosophically, but we're here to talk about like really intimate shit. <laughs> uh, you ready for that? As ready as I'll ever be, I suppose, but I'm really excited to do this with you. Yeah, man, thanks for your support throughout the writing process of this uh, book. And um, you've given me a lot of support in terms of feedback and really like your early feedback really helped me shape what this story is today. But you've also given me actual stories that you were brave enough to share and remain brave enough to like face and, and share with a bigger audience, which I'm really appreciative uh, for. So I'm really excited to be able to share a little bit of our conversations uh, with a wider audience and uh, really interested in hearing more about your story. So today we're, we're covering chapter four, where Muscat leaves this world of adventure and dreamy state and then goes into like the confinements of uh, his parents and in his household and how things need to be. And um, you and I frequently talk about kind of like generational gaps and um, how our families have shaped us and how we rebel against them and how we rebel against how we were brought up in many ways. And uh, you always had like a very interesting relationship with your dad and one that um, always seemed intimate and always seemed uh, interesting and, and full of uh, love and um, uh, understanding. And what? And complexity. And complexity. To say the least. As, yeah. as love, uh, as love often is. Often comes with. Um, and love is something that we've discussed. Uh, we've seen each other go through um, many relationships. And uh, today we're going to be talking about kind of th these relationships with our parents. And um, I'd love to start off with your story that inspired this uh, chapter four kind of dramatic experience of Muscat with his with the wrath of his dad. So why don't we start there? Like, um, tell us a little bit about the story that you shared with me and what that day felt like for you. I think I was maybe 14 or 15. We were vacationing up in the North Coast. Me and my mom were setting up stuff. We had just got there and we were carrying a piece of glass that I dropped. And then my mom kind of was a little upset with me. And then she went to, to tell the old man about it. And it just so happens that he was sitting there and he was playing with this little rubber that lines the window panes. So he was there and my mom was kind of telling him about my attitude. I guess I had one when I dropped it and let's just say he didn't take too kindly to my mom's version of things because the next thing I noticed was that thing in his hand whipping the living crap out of me with. At first 
you don't register the pain right away. Mm. It takes you a minute. <clears throat> but being whipped has a very interesting sensation. Mm. First, you go a little numb, and then it the pain levels really spike. So I don't know if you've had a similar experience with being whipped with anything, but um, it really hurts. And again, I was 14, 15. They didn't know how to react. My dad had laid hands on me until that point, maybe once before, <clears throat> but it was just a slap. This time was almost seemed premeditated and certainly more sustained. Um, I remember wincing in pain and kind of jumping up and down. And I guess that didn't agree with his perception of me, which he thought that as a man, I should just stand there and take it. So the more I reacted, the more his action became more intense, so to speak. So it went on for maybe five or six whips. I'm not sure. But he was really putting his back into it. And I was, again, jumping up and down. I think I might have started crying. And again, my reaction kind of exasperated it. And um, he was like, take it, take it, take it. I remember him saying, you're a man. You should, uh, you should take it as a man. You should take your punishment as a man. Mm -hmm. And I remember then my mom interfered. And she kind of put herself between me and him. And that's where that particular session ended. Hmm. Of course, afterwards, I went into my room and yeah, that's the whole other bag of worms. And what was going on in your mind when you went into, into your room then? Do you remember? Um, I think I went through all of the stages of grief in a very short period of time. Hmm. Because in the beginning, I was just shocked. Um, I was crying from the pain. But when that subsided, I was just shocked. Utterly befuddled. It certainly felt like the uh, reaction didn't fit the crime. It was a little mm. disproportionate. Um, and it was a novel experience. Like I said, my father, until that point, had only laid his hand on me once, and it was a slap. This time, it was a lot more than that. Mm. And I remember feeling fear, distinctly being very afraid of him at that point. But that shortly metastasized into rage, anger. And... I don't think I've ever let go of that anger, to be perfectly frank. It now sits alongside other emotions, but that anger for that, to me, again, seemed completely undeserved mm -hmm. and unprovoked action that my own father gets so vehemently and with such malice aimed to break me down the way that he did. 
And yeah, I remember being very angry and resentful. And for the entire trip, we were there, I think, for a week. I had locked myself in the room, just brooding, oscillating rather between fear that I live in an environment where that sort of thing could happen, but also rage that mm -hmm. somebody that I had trusted and loved dearly could so maliciously attack me. Yeah, and it's really hard to digest that as someone who, you mentioned you were 13, 14? No, I was 14, 15, I 14. think. 14. Um, it's so early on in life, and we don't have the tools to deal with such an attack, especially when it comes from an area or a person that you think is safe. But that frequently happens throughout life as well. Like people that we think are a safe space, people that we think we can trust, and then betray us or you know we go out of alignment and and or they get righteous about something and then hurt us and it seems like it's part of a natural part of life but back for your 14 or 15 year old self that must have been a huge bang in in your psyche right because you don't know how to deal with it and yet somehow you've been able to maintain uh, a very intimate or it seems to me to be int an intimate relationship with your dad still um, being able to uh, talk about things that I perhaps couldn't talk to my dad about um, and I would imagine growing out of that wasn't easy but there must have been it what was kind of like your, your path out of it in order to be able to regain normalcy and um, see your dad as, as a potential safe space again? Like, what did it take for you to reconcile that act? In a word, I would say distance. Hmm. Um, I moved out of the house as soon as I could, which in my case meant a month into graduation from mm -hmm. college. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't moved back since. And it took me leaving the house and getting that distance and being able to process on my own and more so gain a sense of independence and kind of build for myself that safe space that we speak of. Mm -hmm. um, and it was only when I managed to build up my defenses and my mechanisms that I was able to then re-engage with him. And by then, he had somewhat mellowed out, generally, as a person. But also, I think he started to think back on what caused such a clear break. Mm -hmm. Because in the culture that we are brought up in, people don't just leave the house. You only do that when you get married, really. And I was so adamant to leave right when I could that I think the act of me leaving kind of changed something in him and forced him to reflect on his our relationship and how he kind of treated us as children and maybe rethink and reconsider 
some of his parenting techniques. Mm. To me, distance is not just the separation. It was, like I said, it was me working up my own internal defenses and my own ability to process as an individual, as a separate entity. Mm. And then, of course, the other thing is that as I grow older and as he grows older, more importantly, I think less and less about the mistakes that were done and the wrongs that have been committed and more about the frailty of him as an individual. And that engenders within me a care and a love that I had not felt before. And now it's sort of the roles were reversed. Mm. And I think of myself as the caretaker. Hmm. And it's important for me, for my own selfish reasons, that I am good to him, towards him. Um, and I think that kind of realignment or that shift in my thinking was the main driver behind me being able to put behind us the actions that were committed and seek to build a new bridge. So let's shift gears a little bit into like what happens next in the story. So that chapter really, when I wrote it, I didn't know what was going to come next. And then I found myself feeling into Muscat's pain and then he had to regain that balance somehow. He had to regain control over his life somehow. And the way he did it is by moving out and he, for dramatic purposes, then in, in, in later chapters kind of goes off and, and joins like, uh, street life and then, and, and kind of, um, gets into like a, a bit of like a, a gang and, and starts kind of, um, experiencing w- what it means to be aggressive in general. And, and, you know, during that time, as we grew older, we, well, first of all, by you moving out, you, you gave us all as your close friends, a space to like, kind of explore ourselves and, and hang out just like you and I are hanging out today. And, um, and there was like this collective exploration of what it means to be a man together away from what our parents would think. And, um, part of it was us figuring out like our own aggression, right? Like we, we would go into a lot of like fights and, um, we'd frequently be fighting with like in school with a grade younger than us or older than us for no reason, but it, it was almost like this energy that needed to come out and it came out in a very destructive manner. And there was a lot of stories that probably require other podcasts to, to cover uh, around how, how that kind of propagated into a lot of people's lives and how just this need to fight and to, 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 to prove our prowess somehow um, can cause a lot of damage. But then, you know, that was in our 20s. And you and I had a very interesting experience just like a five or six months ago 
where we joined this uh, this play fight experience. And that was really interesting to me because it was like kind of a safe space where we can actually experience this aggression or let it let it be out, knowing that the outcome is not going to be damage and destruction, it's going to be fun and adrenaline. And that to me was, was mind-blowing because a lot of the narrative now is about, okay, men are aggressive and therefore we need to take that aggression away from them. And I think there's, there's some healing element to be able to express that wild side of us that wants to engage in like kind of like physical combat. And that's why like martial arts are uh, really good for the mind and, and the soul because you know that you're, you'll be able to experience that. You'll be able to express that part of the animal inside of you without necessarily like killing the other person. And some sports, it's not the case, but you know, um, play fight was a great example of anyone being able to engage in fighting, but in a playful manner that brings out some kind of a lightness to everyone and allows us to share this common experience of us being men. And there are play fights for women too, and like mixed play fights. And what was really interesting is that the, the moderator was a woman and she was the one telling us the rules and, and, and then watching us as men kind of like go at it. So how was that experience for you and what came out of it? Well, let me just preamble by saying the following. This was my only my second men's circle. I had not experienced anything like that before. And it was actually to your credit that you introduced me to it. And the first one was really quite eye-opening. Um, just a group of men sitting around, being able to talk about their fears and their hopes and their aspirations and managing all of these different elements that affect them. And I was very moved by it. And I was looking forward to going the second time. And when we did go the second time, um, there was a lady there. So imagine the scene of just 10 men or so. And then this one lady who was going to be moderating the night, the night activities. And she was going to introduce this play fighting. Mm -hmm. And we were all tickled by it because like you were saying men rarely have a chance to channel this aggression in a healthy and safe environment and we were all very very excited at the opportunity to do that and we paired up and then there were a few that came before us and everybody was very having a grand old time and you can see it on the guys faces after they were done fighting they had this sense of relief, this joy, euphoria almost mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about having been able to channel this aggression in a safe way, knowing that they will not hurt other people. They will not be hurt. But in the same time, they can exert physical effort in a competitive, combative environment, but take out all the edges and round out all the edges. So, yeah, I was tickled by the prospect of joining. And so me and this other guy went in and the whole point is just basically to submit the other guy, basically lay them down on the floor and 
that's where it ends. There's no kicking, there's no punching, none of that. But it's still a very aggressive and very physically demanding activity. And me and this guy were going at it and having the time of our lives <laughs> when uh, the moderator just stopped us in the middle. She's mm -hmm. like, you guys are going over the line. This is not what this activity is supposed to be. And she just shut it down. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I remember being very, very self-conscious. In the beginning, I thought that I had done something wrong, that I have indeed crossed some sort of boundary, hmm. that even in this play fighting, I was doing it wrong <laughs> somehow. And of course, the inner critic <laughs> had a field day with it. And um, for the rest of the time, I was very quiet and I kind of became very withdrawn. And I was kind of looking at all the men around me for either nods of approval or disapproval. And I couldn't quite glean how they thought things went. And it was only until the very end when everybody kind of broke off that I kind of went to every guy in the room and I asked them, was I doing something wrong? Did I, was I too aggressive? Was I too violent? And without fail, all the men in the group said that no. Yeah, I was enjoying watching it myself. Yeah. I was kind of bummed that she uh, called it quits. <laughs> Me too. Me too, brother. <laughs> Only thing that I can say is that if you're being pushed into the shadows, if you're being pushed, if you're unable to have a conversation, if men are unable to look at themselves and look and feel like they are not inferior or they are born with some sort of a defect. That is what leads to problems. So ultimately is just creating the space where men can have these conversations in, with women, but that we are not starting from a place of condemnation. We are starting from a place of acceptance. So what really struck me during that play fight experience was uh, a misunderstanding, a huge misunderstanding between a woman and a man. And there seems to be condemnation, like you said, about our differences. And one of the ideas that I really like is that there is there's that feminine within every man and there's that masculine within every woman. And maybe if we start seeing that, that could be a way out. Um, and you are someone who I, I see as um, someone who can be intimate with his feminine side in many ways. Like I've seen you cry many times and uh, it's not something that comes easily to me. So it was really interesting seeing that judgment cast upon you as aggressive. Whereas I know from a lot of men that I see is that you don't carry yourself in an aggressive way. But then when you were put in that kind of safe environment, it was, like you said, there was a lot of euphoria around it and very naturally occurring. So from that idea of differences in between genders and how we cast judgments about them, is there a way for us to 
integrate what it means to be a woman and integrates what it, what integrate what it means to be a man into our everyday lives and could that be like a, a path forward out of this kind of compassion crisis i call it between both genders the kind of culture that we were brought up in is where is one where the hyper masculine is the ideal and from everything that we are shown either by our family or media there's an ideal to strive for and it was only when that illusion was shattered that i started to understand that there is something lacking within me and it was it came almost naturally when i started living with my partner at the time and start to understand that there are all these shells that i've put around myself and my emotions that it took a great deal of effort for me to be able to break free from them and be in touch with my vulnerabilities and my insecurities and to be able to talk about them rather than bottle them in and i think that could maybe offer a window out of this particular compassion crisis that you speak of that it's only by embracing the other within ourselves that we can move forward and it's only by coming to appreciate the value of the characters that are that do not come naturally to us let's say whether it be biological or cultural that we can move forward and for men that means embracing the feminine side embracing our emotions being able to talk about them being able to share them being able to switch the modality in one's mind where having emotions is not a sign of weakness but rather it's a sign of strength and if men and i speak only for myself but it was that appreciation of that simple fact that me having emotions me being able to express them is not a sign of weakness like i was told but rather it is a strength because it's not easy to dig down and to be able to try to dismantle the programming so to speak mm-hmm. but also doing the emotional work is hard yeah and women do that and they're more adept at it and it's only by getting in touch with that fem- feminine side of us that we can hope to bridge the gap that exists between the sexes and for women it's being assertive without being called a bitch mm-hmm. being a boss without being called demanding mm-hmm. it is through our understanding of this double standard that exists in society mm-hmm. that we can also do our part to dismantle the preconceptions that we have about women Let me just say that I am more than a little flattered that you featured the story of mine into your book. But that left me with a little bit of a question as to what when I first told you the story or you first decided to write about it, what direction did you see yourself incorporating that story in and why was that an interesting 
story for you to begin with? Well, that story came in a very casual conversation, one of many that we have regularly. And what struck me about it was that ideal of hypermasculinity, of being exposed to aggression at a very early stage, which then informs how a boy needs to grow up as a man. And I think what frequently does not get picked up in society is that men are aggressive because we're we're taught to be that way and we're um, given like these archetypes that in like teach us at a very early age that that's the way to carry yourself as a man and it's I found it so beautifully captivating as as a story in terms of drama because there was a, a, an interesting conflict there between son and, and father, but also it was in perfect juxtaposition to the grandfather, which I start off the story with as a person who was able to integrate that feminine in him so much and being able to express emotions in a way that is healthy and in a way that encompasses his whole character. And the... Um, the, the, the father persona here, Zamunica, provides kind of the opposite of that. So it, it placed the hero in a position where we just saw him go through the exciting sailing adventures with his grandfather and then expressing his boyhood and being out and playing out uh, with, with Jay, his friend, in, in chapter three. And then in chapter four, it takes us into his own intimate uh, life beyond inside like the the old Swahili house and how he's then presented with something very different from what the ideal starts off with. So the whole book is about Muscat really looking for human connection and figuring out how he can express himself genuinely. And in this part that I published, he's very confused by all these different ideals. And so it provided a great way for me to present a different way of being a man, which is equally valid as the grandfather, which Muscat is going to try to kind of reach that state throughout the, the book. And so, so thanks for that gift. And I think that played out really well in the story. And... Um, the, that beating, I think, is going to inform, actually inform the, the writing of the next chapters very well because Muscat in the, in the next few chapters tries to regain that control again by expressing that aggression, not towards his father, but towards others that were bullying him. And it might seem as rational to him as it was as rational for the father figure to beat him up. It really emboldened me to actually amp it up. Like I think I had already written that chapter, but it was without the beating, and and it wasn't very climactic. And now it has become a key chapter in the story. So, so thanks for that. Well, anytime. I'm glad uh, my pain can serve a literary device for you. <laughs> <laughs> As always. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, actually, reading that chapter. Um, was very cathartic for me. 
because I was confronted with a story that I'm all too familiar with, but put in the larger scope of Muscat's story, like you were saying, it seemed to have been an inflection point and one that keeps reverberating throughout the story, but ultimately one that in a way helps him resolve some of the issues down the line mm -hmm. or by making peace with it, he was able to move forward and seeing that story resolved in that way kind of gave me another way to look at it and in that way it was very very therapeutic for me to read it and it was very helpful and um, thank you thank you for taking advantage of my pain <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to hear that man thanks for I, thanks for saying I that truly i truly mean it well dude this has been a great conversation as always um it's different that we're recording this, but I feel like it, it it flowed in a very similar way. Thanks for, again, having the courage to share all this with me and with the audience. And um, I look forward to hearing how people relate to it and how many other stories can can be traced back and seeing how, how things that might have happened to us when we were younger reverberate into things that how we carry ourselves forward now uh, as we grow older and uh, man I really enjoyed this conversation it was raw and it was intense and um, I loved every second of it it was an absolute pleasure thank you for having me on and let me just say I'm looking forward to the rest of the conversations that you'll have talk to me a little bit about who you have lined up and the subject matters that you're going to discuss and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys talk about. So thank you again. <laughs>